that's been my kind of like a big shift in my mindset where I've always thought future innovation, innovation, innovation and tech and kind of like all this stuff can save us. And of course, that is part of that, that, that is partly true. But I actually think that there's a lot of answers that have kind of like can be found in nature itself. And that for me has been a big learning process is not to always, I suppose, look at something that may sit at the peak of innovation, but actually going back to nature to kind of find, find a lot of these answers. Hi, friends. We are wrapping up this year and season two of Hey Change podcast with a super exciting episode on carbon negative and biodegradable fashion. I, as you know, love learning about companies that are truly on a mission to disrupt the industry and completely change the way we think about fashion and the clothes we wear. And Sheep Inc. is one of those brands that give me honestly hope for a different kind of fashion world. So I can't think of a better way to wrap up this year with you. And Sheep Inc. is a new brand that launched in October 2019, and they are creating carbon negative, fully traceable, 100% biodegradable, ethically sourced merino wool unisex ZQ certified jumpers. In fact, they are the world's first carbon negative fashion brand, and they remove 10 times more carbon from the atmosphere than their production process contributes. How cool is that? And now you might think, how is that even possible? Well, you just have to stick around for the interview with Edzard, which is the founder of Sheep Inc. and you'll learn all about it. But before we dive in, I want to have a quick chat about merino wool and mention a few important things about the ethical practices of using sheep for clothing. Because being vegan for almost six years now, I have been hesitant to support any sort of fashion coming from animals. However, I've learned that the question is more complex and that sometimes the answer is not as black and white as we might like. For example, there are many quote-unquote vegan products um, that are not very great for the planet and that are not even that cruelty-free. And at the same time, there are some non-vegan products that are actually not as harmful to the animals as we might think. And when it comes to making the right choices as a consumer, the answer really is to always be curious and to ask questions. And for merino wool itself, it actually depends on the farm and the practices that these farmers have for shearing their sheep. A few more notes on merino wool that could be good to know. Merino is the world's naturally technical fiber, which is renewable and biodegradable. Its natural proteins will completely break down with environmental exposure into organic carbon and return to the environment in years to come. Merino wool is a natural and sustainable resource because merino wool continues to grow each year after the annual harvest of the fleece. And also merino sheep live on a diet of water and grasses and live outdoors. And that is also why merino wool is a sustainable resource for fashion. And if there's one thing we know, it is that fashion needs to change. It is one of the most polluting industries out there. And if things continue as they are right now, fashion will be responsible for a quarter of the world's carbon emissions by 2050. So that we need to flip every stone to look for answers is not a secret. Supporting brands that are pushing the standards like Sheep Inc. are is one way to do that, but as consumers, we must do even more. And I hope that if there's one thing you take away from this conversation, it's that you have the power as a single person to be curious, to ask questions, and to really start making this a different industry. All right. 
that's enough of me talking. Let's get to the interview. This is Edzard from Sheath Inc. Edzard, welcome to Hey Change. I'm so excited to have you here and to dive into all the topics we have lined up for this episode. Um, I would start by saying that many of us probably know somewhat about sustainable fashion today, and we know that we need to be more conscious about our shopping habits and what we look for in the store. But I feel like you're taking things to the next level. And in October 2019, you launched Sheep Included. And what you guys are doing is that you're creating a carbon negative fully traceable, 100% biodegradable, ethically sourced, merino wool, unisex, ZQ certified jumpers. I want to learn a lot more about what all this means, but I'm also (laughs) so curious, what made you jump on a mission like this? Well, so I'd actually set up a company, also a fashion e-commerce company um, in 2015, which was very different from the one that that Sheepink has turned into, but it was actually a women's underwear company. And I suppose as I was kind of like scaling the business and it was a very traditional kind of venture capital backed business and we had a very high growth rate. Um, but as the business was scaling, I started to I suppose really become aware of the impact of fashion on the environment. And the thing that really shocked me was the fact that I was kind of operating. It, it kind of took me to operate within the industry to figure out what was happening. And it was only after I'd been basically working, you know, kind of setting up this company within, you know, kind of six months to a year that I really kind of understood the kind of like, I suppose, the devastating effect that the fashion industry was having on the environment. And that really shook me because it felt that it was just at the time, which was obviously 2015, 2016, like people just weren't talking about fashion in that context. They were talking about the climate crisis, of course, but they weren't putting fashion into the same, you know, kind of as one of the sources of the problems. And that, once again, really kind of shook me. Um, I, at the same time, I had a son. Um, and as these things tend to happen, you start to also think of it, start to think of it more generationally and what kind of legacy I was going to leave behind. And so I basically left the business in 2017 to really explore um, how you could address this topic. And I was very open when I left the last business. I just thought, okay, well, what am I going to set up? Am I going to set up another company? And am I going to set up something that... I don't know, that builds awareness. Like, what can it actually be that that I can do to kind of address this problem? And the thing that I quickly, I suppose, came to was that as I was having conversations with friends and family, um, I realized that, again, this communication piece was really the issue. Like, people did not realize how big an impact the fashion was having on the environment. And by the way, a lot has changed in the last six months to a year, right? But in 2017, that that actually the fashion just simply, again, wasn't being talked about um, in, in that way. And so I realized that actually the important thing here would be kind of like figuring out how to create a communication piece and how to create a brand and how to create a, um, a kind of like a tone of voice and how to create an identity that would engage people and that would have them understand the impact of fashion of the environment on the environment. And the big thing that I suppose I also came across immediately after um, kind of embarking on this next the next stage of my life, basically, was that the big problem was is that people weren't conditioned to ask questions about the fashion industry. And I think that is down to the fact that the fashion industry has been so opaque for so long as we simply don't, you know, we haven't been conditioned to ask it, right? We don't go into a store and pick something up off the shelf and go, hey, where does this come from? 
um, excuse me, Soradan, can you please tell me the history behind this garment? Was it made sustainably? Were the people who made it, were they paid a fair living wage? You know, we, we just aren't, again, we haven't been conditioned to kind of like to really ask those questions. So the thing that I wanted to address therefore was like, how do you get people to ask those questions? So how do you build the awareness piece? And then how do you um, get people to start asking those questions? How do you make them curious? You know, transparency is now, of course, a huge buzzword in the fashion industry, but it's not necessarily transparency is the problem I saw as the problem, but it's actually like it begins at the other side. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you get people to ask the questions? It's not mm. just about presenting information. It's about kind of changing that, that, that behavior of the customer. And then the third piece of the equation, which was also something that I was very much, um, I suppose, shocked by, was actually the progress fashion was making from a sustainability point of view is that I was all felt very much too little too late. And, you know, again, when I started um, exploring the concept and, and what I wanted to do with sheeping, it was also, you know, carbon neutrality wasn't even part of the conversation at that point. But as I kind of like started developing it, suddenly carbon neutrality became this kind of the, the, the alpha and omega of sustainability, right? It became this kind of perfect endpoint. And our opinion, my co-founder and I, Michael, in my opinion, was very much like actually carbon neutrality, that it, it, that can't be the end point because we have to start having a regenerative effect on the environment, especially because the fashion companies that were committing to carbon neutrality were so few and far between. So as the fashion industry grows, even if a lot, you know, even if 20%, 30%, 40% committed to carbon neutrality, it would in no way make up for the fact that the rest of the industry is still um, incredibly polluting. So I suppose taking those three kind of like pieces together, I then started creating what eventually became Sheeping. And I suppose like the pillars kind of like talk through again, the pillars of the business is the first two I've kind of already talked about, which were kind of like, how do you address transparency and storytelling? The second was like, how do you actually become, I suppose, sustainable in a way that is, that is, um, is more forward looking. So, and, and is more than what the industry is currently doing. And then the third part of the equation was like, what product should we sell? Like, what is a sustainable fashion product and what does that mean? And so I suppose starting at, starting at product is after having sold women's underwear for quite a few years, I was desperate to, as a starting point to sell a product that I could wear and I could enjoy. Um, and so the product that I quickly ended up with was um, merino, oh, sorry, sweaters. Like that was like a real starting point. It's like sweaters. And the reason sweaters was such an interesting product for us to start with is that it's actually been such a wardrobe staple for such a long time now that it is something that you that, that is kind of very fashion permanent, or at least it, is, it has been for the last hundred years or so. So I inherited sweaters off my father. You know, there is something about the sweater which can remain a long part of your of your wardrobe. And so that for me was a really interesting starting point because then it's like, okay, this this item, you know, to a certain extent, even if it is unsustainably produced, if it has an incredibly long shelf life and it has an incredibly long wardrobe presence, you are going to get a lot of wear out of it. Therefore, it becomes in its own right a sustainable product. So that was really the starting point was going, okay, sweaters. And then the next question, of course, came along, which was like, well, if you want to make a sustainable sweater, then how do you make it and what do you make it out of? And we did a, a serious deep dive into materials, looking at everything from, you know, kind of all these new kind of innovative, sustainable materials made out of pineapple peel, et cetera. And 
all the way through to basically incredibly high in Kashmir. And we looked at the trying to find, I suppose, that that kind of Venn diagram of luxury and quality, but also sustainability. Because I think another big problem with a lot of sustainable fashion brands as a kind of aside is that they they often don't deliver product quality. And unfortunately, people, you know, they, they don't just buy for a brand sustainability credentials. They also want to have a product that is of a, you know, kind of of an incredibly high quality. So you need to have those two things kind of working in tandem. You need to have sustainability. You need to have the quality of the garment be good as well. So taking those, you know, kind of like taking that approach, we then started going, okay, now what is, therefore, what is the right material to use? And we very quickly ended up with two natural materials. Um, the reason for that is because we wanted it to be 100% biodegradable. So we needed to have something that wouldn't l- leave a trace. So the two materials that we kind of works from that point of view and were also incredibly soft to touch and were, were luxurious for cashmere and merino wool now the problem is with cashmere um even though of course it has is held in very high regard from a luxury point of view is that it is currently having a devastating effect in mongolia right and it's just very very hard to argue for sustainably made cashmere and so we very quickly kind of diverted our attention to merino wool and Merino wool is a really fascinating fiber. It's, um, you know, basically used in everything from kind of luxury wear, but also to kind of high-end sportswear. So it has this incredibly good ability to adapt to temperatures and adapt to the environment, which means that you can wear it a lot. <laughs> so you can wear it in a lot of different te- in a lot of different situations, which again makes it more sustainable because you just get more wear out of it. And on top of that, it also self-cleanses itself. So again, you don't need to put it into the washing machine. Therefore, once again, it has less of an environmental impact. However, the huge problem, of course, with merino wool is that it comes from sheep. <laughs> and sheep are methane-producing animals. And we all know the impact that livestock has on the, um, on the environment. So I suppose we really started the question by going, okay, merino wool seems to make sense from a kind of like from a technical point of view and from a fabric point of view, but is there any way that we can actually justify it as a fiber? Because surely the sustain the environmental impact of the sheep is not something that um, that can be kind of argued away, basically. Um, so what we did is we went to New Zealand <laughs> to go and talk to um, this group called ZQ Merino, um, who also work with brands like Allbirds. And we basically went to them and asked this question and said, listen, is there a way, you know, kind of like, how can we kind of like, can we justify using merino wool? And at that point, it basically became a very deep, a big deep dive into regenerative farming, um, where we had a kind of like a crash course (laughs) in how to do land management and were visiting these farms that we'd kind of, I suppose, really carefully selected that were really at the forefront of regenerative farming. And regenerative farming is all about kind of making sure that you you kind of maximize biodiversity on the land and you create natural carbon sequestration that happens on the land. And you also make sure that the animals kind of form a vital part of the ecosystem, of that kind of biodiversity ecosystem. So that for us was really interesting. It was like, okay, actually, do you know what? If we can now use these regenerative, if we can source wool from these regenerative farms, then actually we can we can basically, we can kind of justify the use of merino wool. And what it also did, which is really interesting, is actually because these farms, um, we now work with exclusively with three farms, the three farms that we work with actually sequester more carbon than the sheep and all the activities on the farm produce. Therefore, you start your supply chain journey basically with a carbon negative impact. So you dip below zero kilograms of CO2. 
And then the question is, as you go through the supply chain, how do you make sure you stay as close to, so as far below that zero line as possible? So what we then did is we then looked at each step of the supply chain and we went, okay, how do we now um, kind of like maximize um, our environmental credentials and our sustainability credentials with our suppliers? So we, to that aim, we then spin the wool in Italy using um, a very uh, amazing old yarn mill in the north of Italy, which runs on um, 100% renewable energy. We then uh, manufacture the um, sweaters in both Spain and Portugal. And those guys basically use these Japanese whole garment 3D knitting machines called Shimaseki knitting machines that are zero waste. So they produce very, very little waste during the manufacturing process. And also, once again, run on renewable energy. And then all the, we pulled this all the way through to our logistics warehouse in the UK, which is the first, um, it's called kind of, I think, A triple plus energy certified. So they have kind of solar panels on the roof. So we just made sure that every single part of our supply chain basically was optimized towards sustainability. And of course, as always important to flag is that we are nowhere near at the end of that journey. We can always do better, but we do have a pretty, you know, as our starting point, we had a pretty kind of good and clean supply chain. The next part of the equation was then obviously we had we basically had our product at that point right we had this sweater and you know people uh, people really do kind of love the, love the product and that's all been very very positively received but then i suppose came two of the biggest questions which was like how do you create this how do you bring back this sense of connection which has been lost in fashion and how do you make sure that um the brand is more than sustainable so not just sustainable more than sustainable now, to take the first piece is like, how do you kind of basically create this sense of connection back with the, with the consumer? And how do you make them aware of the journey and the provenance behind the things that they buy? Once again, we didn't see that as simply presenting the information. But we saw it as creating an emotional link to that story. That was the thing that we were kind of, I suppose, really solving for. It's like, if you make people want to become part of the story and they want to hear the story, they want to tell their story to their friends, then you are creating something that is emotive and therefore engaging. And therefore that becomes a thing that then starts to change behavior. So the thing that we did is we thought, well, listen, if we're selling a merino wool garment that starts with a sheep, why not have people adopt a sheep from the farm that they buy the sweater, the, the wool comes from? So through that, what we do is we, there's a basically an NFC chip that sits in the sweater um, and you can scan it with your phone and you can basically trace it all the way back to the farm and within that you can um, also track your sheep so you can see it's, it's a real sheep on the farm they all have rfid tags in their ears so we can kind of track their whereabouts and you basically can um follow it kind of like follow its journey and from our point of view and what's been really positive about the response to it is that people really they're like they're really engaged with that side of it and it just makes people cast their mind back to the fact that the garment they're wearing actually started out as um, a four-legged animal on a farm in new zealand and it creates again this sense of kind of emotional connection so like when you say yeah. fully traceable sorry i just need to like <laughs> hijack you a little bit when you say fully traceable you don't act you don't just mean that you can see where it's been produced or where it's coming from. You can actually trace it back to the one animal that made well, your garment. It's incredible. Yeah, so you can trace it back, just to be very clear, you can trace it back to the farm and the flock. Um, unfortunately, okay. individual fleeces is, is not because it's always a mix. <laughs> it's always a mixture of wool type. Um, but yeah, you can trace it back as far as the, as far as the flock. And 
you know, that for us was, you know, again, like, you know, we wanted to have that level of, of transparency. We've also put in the gross carbon footprint of every step of the way as well. We were the first fashion brand to do that, where we kind of went, okay, listen, let's properly kind of offer up that information to people, right? Um, it's like you scan the sweater and you can actually get at every stage the gross carbon footprint. Um, and so that was, you know, kind of like, again, I suppose the fun side to the brand, but with the aim of kind of enforcing a behavior change, right? Um, and for, you know, the end goal is of course that we want people to pick up a pair of socks and start to think back to the cotton plant, you know, and go like, okay, was that cotton plant in the field that was, I don't know, was an organic field where people paid well, who picked the cotton, et cetera. You know, you really want to make sure that people start to get that, that sense of, um, that sense of provenance, you know, that that kind of kicks in when they look at, when they look at an item, uh, to, to purchase an item and to also start asking the story again in the store. Well, I will say this, no one can ever accuse you for being greenwashing because <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked to someone as committed and as passionate about making change in the industry as you seem to be. It's just incredible. I'm sitting here smiling because this is just the most incredible story. Oh, well, th well, thank you. I mean, again, we're just, we're, I suppose we're just getting started, but it's been amazing to like see, see the response to, you know, kind of see the response to the brand and to, um, to what we're doing. And I think that's been the bit that's been incredibly encouraging for us is that, you know, people, people really do kind of engage with the story. And that was for us, the thing that we wanted to get, you know, as we wanted people to kind of understand and yeah, again, and, and engage with it because then they start to tell people about it. And the more people, it's not necessarily telling people about our sweaters, it's more telling people about the impact of fashion. Yeah. And I think that's what to me is so, so cool about your story. And I, I, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to touch on and ask you more questions about, but for one, I think, what makes um, Sheep Included so incredible is that it's not, like you said, it's not just about selling more stuff. You're actually here to tell a story. And if you think about it, fashion has always been a communication tool. It's always been about setting trends and communicating to the world what we stand for and what we believe in. And somewhere along that way, we started using fashion as a way to kind of like pollute the planet. We didn't know it as consumers, mm -hmm. but that's technically what was happening. And you are just giving customers an opportunity to bring our power back, to make fashion a force for good and to help, you know, spread this new story, like a new narrative to the story of what is fashion? What could fashion be? And I feel like by just having one of your sweaters, it's like you're putting a different statement out into the world, not one of just sustainability, but actually, like, how can we learn to regenerate and be part of the cycle of life in nature instead of continuously just depleting our resources and the earth? And yeah, and this is just a few of the things that are happening right now that makes me really optimistic and like wanting to participate uh, in this movement because it is such an empowering thing, even as a consumer, to be part of. Definitely. And I think, you know, the, the, the key piece to, to pick up on in what you're saying is is that ability for fashion to be a um a a, um, a storytelling or a kind of a mechanism to kind of instigate cultural change right and i think that you know fashion has historically done that obviously for, for kind of for women's rights you know a lot of the things that have you know yves saint laurent's tuxedo for that was worn for uh you know that he, he created for women was like a real movement of kind of towards androgyny <laughs> and towards female empowerment so it has had these moments in kind of history where it has played its role in changing or at least um, engaging with cultural discourse and hopefully changing it for the better. So in that, for that point of view, when it comes back to all the reasons for setting up Sheeping, that's why I was so kind of impassioned, I suppose, to set up a brand and set up a fashion brand. Because again, if you can get that 
part of the the mainstream cultural conversation, then it can become something that becomes a leaping a leaping board for change. So as someone who struggled to navigate the path between veganism and sustainability, um, mm-hmm. because this is a product that comes from animals and a lot of vegans yeah. or people out there will say, well, that's not good. So I just want to hear your thought on that. Uh, where does this land on the ethical scale? Like, does it sh- in any way harm the sheep when we use their wool for clothing? Or, you know, is there anything that we need to be concerned of in that sense? Well, I think it's, it, as always with these things, like there is, there are people who treat animals badly and there are people that there are farms who treat animals well. And I think that's, it's not so much a kind of like a black, white kind of, it's not like a black, white conversation, right? It's like, there are, there are farms and we're very, very, of course, we're incredibly diligent about the farms that we work with to make sure they hit a level of animal welfare that we we set. That means that none of the animals can be harmed during shearing. Um, you know, that's very cl- closely audited and they make sure that any shearer basically comes in if he does make a mistake and an animal is, you know, there's a nick on the animal or anything like that, then that shearer will not be coming back to the farm. So there is very, very stringent kind of um, rules in place to make sure that the animal is treated very fairly. And on top of that, you know, these, if you think about where these sheep are roaming, they're roaming on these vast New Zealand landscapes, you know, with plenty of kind of like plenty of vegetation and plenty of water. And so there is very much a, um, you know, in our case, animal welfare sits, you know, really, really high on the list of priorities, of course. And we also, by the way, there's, we have this list, list of five freedoms that all the animals have to um, have to kind of, uh, all the farms have to conform to for the animals. So freedom from thirst, freedom from hunger, freedom from distress, um, and then freedom to roam free. And they have to be able to basically conform, they, the animals have to conform to all of those um, to be able to basically supply wool for us. Now, saying that, I totally understand the vegan point of view, which is like a lot of wool products and a lot of kind of like animal products is incredibly harmful for the animal, right? And I think that is something that that is that they have a total right of, you know, that they're totally right about. And I think therefore, but once again, the nuance has to be ask the question, don't get the answer, then don't buy the product. Because mm. it is not simply the case that all wool products are bad. It just doesn't, you know, in our case, that just doesn't, it it doesn't work like that. But it is the case that unfortunately, more wool products are harmful for the animal than, um, than most. But that's obviously the big bit that we're also trying to change is like showing that you can not only have farms that have a regenerative effect on the environment, but you can also work with farms who treat their animals with a lot of care. And I think that was also when we went out to New Zealand, that was a big part of what we saw. Is all these farmers, you know, these are not in no way kind of in no way industrial farms, right? These are like again vast open biodiverse landscapes where you know you have just the most this huge space for these sheep to roam. And the shepherds and the people who work on the farm really care about their farm. You know, it's their livelihood, they have to. Like that's their argument. It's like, listen, we don't want to do, you know, they're incredibly caring about the animals, but yeah. it's they feel it's in their best interest. So once again, it's it's a it's a difficult topic, but um, I think uh, I'm definitely not saying that that you know kind of like all wool products are, um, all wool products are are good for the animal. But um, th- again, there is a nuance to it. Well, and also I feel like that what you just said before it brings it back to us as consumers learning how to ask questions because nothing is black yeah. and white, and it goes for anything you're buying. You know, like 
not all vegan products are cruelty free either because there is a different nuance to that as well, which is a whole different conversation. But, you know, it's at the same time, not every wool is regenerative. It's how you produce yeah. that wool. Like what, like what are these farmers doing with their land? So we can't just say, okay, now we figured this out. Like, okay, we should all just start using wool products and we can scale that. And then we're going to cut down forests to start raising cheap. And that's not good. Yeah. Right. So like, there is so much, there's so many more layers to, to the equation that we can't just simplify things and put things into supply and demand and try to scale everything. And I think that also goes back to the source of the, of the issue, right? Like, what does fashion mean to us? Do I have to have a wool sweater in each color for different days of the week? Or can I have that one sweater that I love dearly, use all the time, and then pass it on with time? So yeah. fashion, again, can turn into something that's like, something we hold dearly and something that's almost like an investment piece. And that too allows us to, again, like spend more money uh, for the things we buy because we don't buy them as often and uh, make sure that the things that we do buy actually are supporting a regenerative, sustainable, healthy, compassionate world and not just one that's made to continuously um, produce thing, things for us because that's not what we're here, right? We're not here to buy. Like that is not our mission to continuously buy, buy, buy. We're here to actually find ways to be in sync with nature and one another. Um, and so, yeah, I think what you just said about educating the customer to, to ask for transparency, because it really starts there. We need to like start caring for that because if not, then like, what are we even trying to do here? Right. Listen, totally. And that, and I mean, couldn't have put it better. And I think that's kind of why that was very much the starting point for us was like, how do you get that? How do you engage that question mindset? You know, and that was, again, the whole kind of reason behind the adopt the sheet piece was like, okay, you're going to start, you, you are going to start having people cast their mind back to the origin of the things that they buy. I love that. So you kind of touch upon this a little bit in the beginning, but being in the industry and now having started your second um, fashion brand, what would you say is like the thing that upsets you the most about the fashion industry, even right now? I think this, this, this concept of like setting targets for 2030 and 2035 is for me and kind of going, we're working on it. I think is for me, the biggest, um, is the biggest problem because first of all, as we all know, we don't have, we don't have time left. I mean, we've already lost time, right? It's like today is already too late. Mm. And I think that when you see that the pace, the fashion industry is moving at, and listen, I understand that if you're, caring group or if you're a huge kind of fashion conglomerate, then you obviously have incredibly complex, intricate supply chains. And we have a single product and we have, we're, we're very much able to, um, you, you know, kind of like really optimize our supply chain for sustainability, which I understand is a lot harder if you're a big complex mechanism. But I think the thing that I do have a problem with is this idea of like, as we're working on this, we can't do anything which I think is kind of the mindset of a lot of the, of the big fashion houses. And what we do is we basically donate outside of kind of doing our sustainability pieces. We also donate, uh, so as our internals being internally sustainable, we also donate 5% of our revenue to biodiversity projects. And what we do is we basically split it out into three. So we split that 5% into three. One of them is we invest in projects on farm so that's kind of either research pieces or protecting um, endangered species, which are, which are on some of these farms. They've got one of them has got um, a, a 
endangered um, uh, uh, lizard that's basically on the farm. So we work to kind of protect them. And we also invest in um, biodiversity projects that have been affected by the industry that we operate in. Of course, we operate in fashion and we op operate in agriculture. So we, at the moment, we're investing in this project in Kenya, which is um, basically helping regenerate, kind of bring land back to life and also an education piece for local farmers and how they can manage their land in a better way and also in a regenerative way. And then the third piece of the equation is we also invest in um, more societal focused projects, um, as we've seen during Black Lives Matter moment, the movement of, you know, a big part of that has also been, you know, the fact that institutional uh, kind of like climate racism basically <laughs> is a real problem. Mm. So we want to kind of also funnel funds towards um, towards helping kind of like more the, the kind of like the people aspect of the climate crisis. And that 5% revenue that we've kind of committed, which is revenue, it's not profit, it's re really from our revenue, from our top line, is something that we're doing as a small business, right? And listen, it's it's difficult and we really have to work hard to make the business work, but that's our commitment, it's 5%. And we're looking at the profits of some of these huge fashion conglomerates and going, yes, you can work to change your supply chain, but why the hell can't you commit in the meantime more financial resources to biodiversity projects and to environmental projects. And that for us is a bit of a kind of like, it's, it's this kind of, in some ways, it's like egregious misstep of these companies where they're kind of going out, talking with a lot of bombast about, you know, hitting carbon neutrality, or in some cases also hitting carbon negativity in 2030, but they're very much not focusing on what they could do today. And in our opinion, that is simply a case of, it, it is financial resource allocation. And I think it's really important to flag. It's like, that doesn't, I'm, I'm not advocating for greenwashing at all. You know, I'm not saying invest into biodiversity projects and you don't need to do anything along the side, but you can do both as you're trying to clean up your act, as you're trying to clean up your supply chain and trying to move to better suppliers who, who have more of an environmental focus. There is no reason that you cannot, in the meantime, dedicate financial resources to biodiversity projects. You know, and I, th I think that for me is like a real problem in the fashion industry where they just simply have to, you know, if you look at the profits of some of these big companies, they have to like turn around and say, we're going to dedicate more revenue because they don't need to do 5% like us. We understand that that would be a vast commitment that would probably have a shareholder revolt. But there is no reason that they cannot allocate more than what they are at the moment. The, the, the amounts that they currently invest compared to the profit of some, some of these big fashion companies is minuscule. Well, it's so funny because I feel like I've, I've talked to a few um, smaller fashion brands like yours, and it's always the same frustration of like, see what I'm doing with the little means that I have. And why are you the big guys not doing more? Because they actually are the ones that can really start pushing a movement for real, right? And so I feel like that frustration is really shared. I actually have some insight. Um, I happened to speak to this guy at Levi's once. He actually told me that they could, um, what did he say? They could replace their whole supply of, like, the, the whole t-shirt line could actually be replaced with just a waste material from hemp. So not even the hemp itself, but just a waste product could actually be replacing their whole supply chain for their t-shirts, everything. And it would be obviously a lot better for the planet. It would be financially good for them as well, because it's just waste material that's going to be thrown out anyways. But mm -hmm. that would have to be a transition. So they couldn't show profit in the next quarter for their shareholders. 
And yeah. so it all comes down to this like like short-term focus of like, can we show profit to our shareholders in the next quarter? And if not, we can't do it. And that frustrates me because it's like, come on, <laughs> like, why are we yeah. putting, you know, all these stoppers to ourselves, like as a world and as a society, like, where could we have been a long time ago if you weren't so narrowly focusing on money? Yeah, which is, of course, at the moment, the big argument um, in, in, in your country about the Green New Deal, right, where it's just so focused on short term rather than on the long term benefits. And, you know, as we, as we know, the economic impact of the climate crisis on the US is going to, you know, and the damage that it will do will vastly outweigh any type of investment now to make a, um, in the Green New Deal. You know, you're totally, you're totally right. You know, and that, and that to echo, yeah, yeah, to, to echo that, it's just like that's that's the bit that's incredibly, incredibly frustrating because it comes out with all this bombast of future setting targets. It's like, no, just look at what you can do today. Like tomorrow's too late. Has to be today. Yeah. Well, I feel like things are changing, although it might not seem like it on the surface. And in, just look at companies like yours, and that's how you see that there is a lot of movement in this in the in this field and let's bring it back and end with how to really give the power back to the people because i feel like we have a lot more power than we think we do as consumers how we how we vote with our dollars and how we spend both mm -hmm. our time and energy and just focus in general so if you were to give a few pieces of advice to anyone who's listening like how what are the next steps to become the most conscious um, mindful fashionista consumer um, citizen in today's world. Uh, it's going to be a slightly boring answer because it's going to be a bit of repetition of the same theme <laughs> of everything I've said. But it's like ask the question, mm. and I think that that's that's just simply what it has to come down to, right? It has to go. You go. You like something. We all. I, I'm not saying don't consume anything. Like I, I think that's just it, it's it doesn't make any sense to give kind of to give advice like that. It just doesn't make any sense. But if you are going to go and buy something, just ask the question, you know, it's like, ask the question of the brand, ask the person working in the shop, like, you know, can you tell me the story behind this garment? And if they cannot tell you the story, then just don't buy it. And I think that's the, again, that's the change that has to happen. Because if we as consumers start to no longer buy from brands who are not telling us the story, brands are going to have to change their act incredibly quickly. And otherwise, they're going to be out of business. So you know, it the power does therefore lie really in the hands of the consumer and it comes down to that one thing is ask the question if you don't get an answer or you don't get an answer that you like then don't buy it you know and i think i think that's it, it really is a simple it is it, it is as simple as that now the unfortunate thing is you know it does mean that your your choice of garment buying <laughs> is 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 limited <laughs> um but there are brands out there who are able to tell you the answer to your question you know and if you start to limit it to those as a starting point, then I think that you can, you know, you can have a lot of impact as a consumer. And I think, you know, the one positive thing we have seen in our kind of post, well, in our current COVID pandemic world is that, you know, we are seeing that the consumer from our side, and we, we, we see it and how people are interacting with the brand, it's like, people are becoming more aware, you know, it's, of course, it's the Greta Thunberg effect, but it is also that everything that's happening at the moment, it does feel like it's, it's accelerating pace, you know, people are becoming more aware. People are talking about this kind of like this this crushing issue more, and you know, is this kind of like I suppose as a slight side story? It's like I've been visiting schools for my three-year-old son, and it's really interesting. You go and see all the schools in my neighbourhood. Sustainability is top of the agenda, hmm. which is incredible, right? I mean, that has happened in two, three years. Suddenly, it's like 
do you know what we have? We're incredibly sustainably focused. Here's a school. This is the lessons that we give around it. And this is to four and five year olds. So, you know, it is, it is like really, it, it is changing. It is picking up pace. But at the same time, within fashion, the power does lie in consumers asking that single question. It's like, where does, it, where does this come from? Okay, fast answer, whatever comes to you. <laughs> what does the future of fashion look like to you? Um, lasting, connecting, regenerating. So for me, it's lasting garments, things that you can have for a long, long time. Connecting, again, it brings you that sense of connection to, to nature and to the world. And regenerating, right? Brands having a regenerative impact. They're not just there to even neutralize their effect on the environment. They're there to actually have a regenerative effect. So you could buy something and part of that buying means that you're you're contributing to the healing of the planet. I love that. And I feel like this is a slogan I'm, I keep taking from Remake, which is a nonprofit organization really working for an incredible change in the industry. But they keep saying, you know, how do we make fashion a force for good? And I think if we put that lens on, whenever you go out to buy something for yourself or for a friend or for a family member as a gift, is there a story to this piece? So you're not just buying the item, you're buying the story and you're owning that story. And so it's like really putting value into everything that you wear and everything that you have. And I think when we start to shift that narrative around buying in general, that's when we shift. And um, so, yeah, I love that so much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming and talk to my show and just everything you're doing. And I'm so thrilled to learn about companies like yours. That's how I keep my optimism going as a climate optimist. <laughs> and um, I want to just finish off by asking my famous question. It's all about retruthing. And so retruthing to me means that you take something that you identify as a personal truth in your life, something that you live by, um, and then you may realize that this doesn't really sit well with me anymore. Like, why am I still operating in this way? You take that truth, you kind of flip the narrative to retruth it, and then you start living your life in a different way. So not sure if I'm making sense. Let me know if I'm not. But if you were to retruth something right now, what would that be? So I don't know if I'm going to be answering this in the right way. So you have to correct me if I'm not. But I suppose the one thing that I did learn when I set up Sheep Inc. was I was very focused, as I mentioned, on kind of modern innovation. So very much looking at like, actually, do you know what? There's going to be a lot of answers are going to be in technology. There's going to be a lot of answers in, um, yeah, again, in innovation around materials, et cetera. And what was really interesting is that the more I suppose I started to dive into what we were doing with sheeping, the more I realized actually that a lot of these answers already exist in nature. I'll give you an example, like the buttons that we use on our cardigan, which is going to be released in the next week, are made from Kurotsa nut, which comes from the Tagua palm and we source them from Ecuador. And part of basically the harvesting of the nuts, they're naturally harvested, they fall to the ground. Part of harvesting that nut means that you basically preserve rainforest because the palms themselves are far more valuable as trees than they are being chopped down in comparison to obviously a lot of rainforest. And it was really interesting because I started that journey looking for like, what is a really crazy new innovative material that we can use for the buttons? And I ended up <laughs> using this harvested nut. And I think that's been my kind of like a big shift in my mindset where I've always thought future innovation, innovation, innovation and tech and kind of like all this stuff can save us. And of course, that is part of that, that, that is partly true. But I actually think that there's a lot of answers that have kind of like can be found in nature itself. And that for me has been a big learning process is not to always, I suppose, look at something that may sit at the peak of innovation, but actually going back to nature to kind of find, find a lot of these answers. 
it started i had goosebumps <laughs> just <laughs> i feel like just by listening to you talk i can i can really i can sense nature around me and i feel like that's ever true thing for myself like you just said nature is not just something out there that we can use as a resource it's part of us it's all around us and i think as we start looking back into nature uh, we will find all the solutions that we're looking for so thank you so much if anyone wants to check out your sweaters where should they go holiday is coming up so maybe that's in a really good idea for a holiday gift for someone <laughs> so it's sheeping.com is the website and we're exclusively available through our, through our website there you go. Simple as that. Thank you so much. I uh, wish you all the best of luck on your continuous journey. I cannot wait to um, try out one of your sweaters myself. So I'll look forward to that and um, keep changing the world. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so happy that people like you exist. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thanks again for tuning in. If you were looking for that perfect gift to give your special loved one for Christmas, maybe a carbon negative merino wool sweater is the answer you've been looking for. Give it once and keep passing it on for generations. I received mine and you guys, it is incredibly soft and so amazing. And I've included a link in the show notes, so head over and check them out. Okay, until next time and until next year. Oh my God, I can't believe it's 2020 one almost what a year this been huh well i have a strong feeling that 2021 will be very special with much more change than we could ever imagine so my question is are you ready for it anyhow have a safe and happy holidays my friends and please stay in touch i love to hear from you so always feel free to reach out on my instagram or on my website theclimateoptimist.com and with that i'm sending you love and magic and i hope you stay optimistic and that you keep changing the world one day at a time i see you in the new year <laughs>